0: You're listening to the Mister Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. Hey, everybody! What is up? It's me. It's me. It's Gino V. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, another week here in paradise with episode 32 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the I Robots radio network. Folks, thanks for coming along for yet another episode in which I, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, sensationalize the everyday by sharing tales, takes, and thoughts, all plumbed from the depth of my incredibly mundane, ordinary life. Yes, another 20 to 40 minutes of the scintillating content you never wanted and didn't need, delivered to the tens of ones out there listening. In fact, probably even less than that. But let's carry on with today's show... What is new in the life sensational? Let me think here. A little off my game today. Uh, I think I say this every week as I sit down to record. Um, I was all fired up and ready to go, ready to just uh, take to the microphone with reckless abandon. And I realized I was like missing half the chords I needed to uh, get set up here. Um, I'm, I'm here from here from my mobile studio once again in my daughter Miss Sensational One's bedroom um, being peered down at by her weird frog, uh, uh, prints that she has framed on her shelf here that I've spoken about on previous episodes. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was missing some of the cords I needed. And it's so funny. I like, you know, there's this business of being able to ping certain devices. Um, I think the earliest iterations of this, I seem to remember back in the day, back in probably the mid to late nineties, um, Ms. S., my wife, and I lived together in an apartment in Santa Rosa, California. We had this little tiny black-and-white TV. We didn't have cable, but we were able to pick up the local uh, television station, Uh, TV50. Shout out to, uh, was it Ed Bebout? Jason Bebout? I think Jason Bebout might have been the singer for the band Sam I Am. Ed Bebout was the TV50 news anchor guy who, legend had it, went on some bender and disappeared off the air and was found at the Astro Motel on Santa Rosa Avenue. I have no idea if there's any truth to that story, but it was it was making the rounds back in the day. Anyway, I I would use TV50 to watch... Uh, let's see, I would watch endless episodes of Frasier on there. What else was on TV50 at the time? I mainly remember Frasier. I don't remember what else I watched on there. But anyway, there would be um, commercials for uh, the type of um, items that you would purchase by calling a 1-800 telephone number. Uh, you know, what do you like shop from home type gimmicks? Uh, you know, your George Foreman grills, uh, all that Ron Popeil stuff. But I recall one of the devices that was in heavy rotation. Um, no, not blue blockers, uh, if you recall blue blockers. Uh, this device known as the Clapper. And a clapper was essentially something that you attach to your keys um, or anything else that you could uh, fix it to um, any other essential item that might easily go missing. And with a clap like that, it would cause the thing to uh, beep. Or was the clapper the thing that turned lights on and off? But either way, there was some gimmick where, where you'd hand clap and you could make a thing beep and you could find what it was attached to. That's my earliest memory of pinging a device as it were something that has uh evolved over the decades, over the years to what we now have in the modern day where i have um my a gimmick on my phone um where i can uh ping the uh earbuds that i use. Um or i have a gimmick on my watch that i can ping my phone that has the gimmick that can ping my earbuds. Um so it's kind of this whole ecosystem of pingability uh with these things that I often leave in strange places and can't find. The problem is you start to become dependent on that pingability and it kind of messes with your mind or at least it messes with my mind that I start to believe that things that are just unpingable should be pingable and I kind of go to ping them and I can't. And that's what I was doing with these cords I needed today. I I, I was like looking for a gimmick to ping with and no such gimmick exists. I, I was I was asking for the impossible. I was trying to bend the laws of space and time. I was trying to defy physics. I was trying to spit on science like a like a mutant. My mutation had almost come uh, come to full fruition. I, I was standing on the mountaintop, shaking my fist at all of reality's rules and regulations and their their attempts to oppress me and keep me down and to stall out my beginning of recording. Episode 32 of the Mr. Sensational Geno Vega podcast by a good five to ten minutes. I shook my fist. I shook my fist at the oppressive nature of the physical world, of the temporal world. I told it, no, no more. I will have my freedom. I will do what I want to do. I will, uh, I don't know what, go to a gym. I will go bowling. You won't stop me. And then reality capitulated. And the cord came falling out of the sky right into my lap. That's what happens when you, when you, when you accept the mutation within and you, you harness those powers and you, you say, no more, I am a free person. I'm not a number. I'm a free man. Anyway, I found the cord. <laughs> and here we are with episode 32. Well that break could not have come at a more opportune time. Pardon me, just had a coughing fit off air. uh inhaled wrong. It happens. But uh to be honest, I've had um some allergies kicking up. It's I guess it's about that time. It's about that season. We're on the precipice of spring. Uh I mean, we've already basically been having spring weather here for the last month anyway. Um due to uh Changes in the climate, as it were, I guess. Um, Anyway, yeah, allergies have been kicking up, and it's kind of caused me to realize it's been just about a year since the uh, coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic began. And um, when it began about a year ago, allergies for me were kicking up, which caused me for the first like week of the pandemic to be convinced I must have COVID. And then it was like, oh, wait, no, it's allergies. Um, keep in mind, I was still relatively new to living here in Napa, California. And, you know, when you move, each place has got its own allergen ecosystem. So it's hitting me a little bit differently, um, both in effect and, uh, time and all that jazz than it did in Santa Rosa, which I had gotten used to being able to predict, um, my allergy status over the 10 years that I was there in any case, yeah, it's been about a year, and it's also, this has caused me to realize, you know, um, speaking of uh, rioting against reality in in, uh, in service of freedom, um, I saw some chatter recently, I mean, what else is new? But some people just having histrionics, having a psychodrama, that um, there's some uh, news out there from health experts that, you know... M- Minor mitigation measures like mask wearing may continue into like 2022 or something like that um, on the subject of when things will return to quote unquote normal. So some people get very, get very agitated by this and I don't quite understand it. And my, you know, everyone's different, so I don't want to be uh, insensitive, but I, I honestly don't, I don't understand the mask thing. I mean, the having an aversion to it. I mean, it's not that it, it, it's like I wear sunglasses when I go outside. How is a mask any different? Uh, you know you wear clothes, you don't have a fit about that but um but anyway i I suddenly realized you know this this has been going on for a year now. wasn't wearing a mask for all of that year, but i I guess during the time before mask wearing really kicked in as uh as a given I wasn't really going out at all prior to that so yeah i I've been wearing a mask the entire time that I've been going out in public um uh to any significant degree and i'm totally i'm setting myself up for a huge fall here as uh, saying this right now but I haven't been sick for over a year. I was never someone that got sick a whole lot prior, but I would get the, you know, pretty, I would at least get probably a cold once a year. And then maybe every other year also get a flu, but I've gotten nothing in over a year other than these allergies last year. And now again, this year, that's it. But as far as like anything virus related, nothing, just not, not even the slightest sniffle. And, I don't know, man. I might just keep wearing a mask uh, for life because there's parts of the world where it was already common practice during cold and flu season. And I mean, I'm kind of trying to see how long I can keep this streak going, even with a return to normalcy, even if I ever do get one of these rumored uh, vaccines. Might just keep that mask handy and see... Just how uh what was the, the the Mr. Glass M. Night Shyamalan movie with Bruce Willis? Was that Unbreakable? Didn't that guy never get sick? Uh I I wanna get to that point where all of a sudden it occurs to me, you know, I can't remember the last time I was sick, because getting sick's no fun. And if you can if there's an easy way to, to mitigate your chances, I, I don't know. I'd take it. I am taking it. Uh that's the funny thing too. It's like to me, back to normal is like being able to go out to do whatever I want to do even if it requires wearing a mask. I mean, that part is neither here nor there to me. In any case, it's funny that the pandemic's been going on long enough now to that um, there's like nostalgia periods already. Like I, I I was thinking back to when I was having allergies last year and thinking back to how I felt and how there was this kind of like, um, I, I, exciting is not the right word because that seems a positive, but there was just kind of this crackling electricity of the unknown in the air where no one really knew what was happening and is like society going to completely collapse and will you die if you walk outside your house? and uh everyone was watching that tiger thing the tiger king show and at the time that just seemed like so in the moment so now and now it seems like the, there's almost a retro vibe to the to the to the Joe Tiger era of the pandemic why can i not even remember that guy's name now i never saw that show actually but uh the kids watched it in any case at some point in those early days of the pandemic era I decided I was going to uh, take the, the supposed free time I had in my hands. Actually, I think I have less free time now than I did before just because everyone's home and there's like so much to keep on top of and help out with, etc. Um, but in, in those early, early months where there was this idea that you were at home just kicking back, I decided I was going to reread the entirety of the original run of the G.I. Joe Real American Hero comic books by Larry Hama. And in fact, in one of the earliest episodes of this show, once I started doing it again after its multi-year hiatus, um, I talked about uh, my early forays into uh, reading the Joe comics. It might have even been the first episode that I did back. I can't remember. But I finished. I finished the whole original run. I'm into now reading the uh, stuff he did. Um, Was it in IDW comics, um, out of when he picked it back up, you know, and, and started writing again in the same continuity, but I'd finished the original eighties, nineties run. the, The one that people in my age group remember from when we were little kids, it's really interesting because I read most of it, um, when I was a kid, but I don't even remember where the comics came from. There's a lot of comics I vividly remember buying as a youth. I don't remember ever buying GI Joe comics, but I just remember them always being around. And I remember reading most of this. At a certain point, I fell off. There's a gets to a point in the series in the '90s when I would have been in high school where I didn't remember any of it because I never. It was my first time reading through it for sure. But in any case, uh, I did finish it, and I said I would offer some parting thoughts. I had uh, mentioned the first time I talked about the series when I had just started rereading it that it was interesting how anti-Trumpian the themes were uh, in the Geocomic. Uh, obviously, it was, it was anti-Trumpian before Trumpian was a thing, but anti that kind of really negative, selfish, cowardly, greedy uh, mentality that is often able to infect Americans under the guise of freedom uh, and other um, mythological uh, American cultural attributes. The Joe team was really fighting against that. Cobra was attempting to undermine American institutions, undermine American democracy, all in the name of sticking up for the small businessman, for freedom, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But in reality, just with a goal of being anti-everything, really being kind of a death cult, much as we saw during the Trump years. The uh, Trump years were kind of real-life Cobra, Cobra come to life. Uh, I guess, what would Springfield be? Springfield was the, the town that Cobra had taken over and uh, um, turned into kind of a sleeper cell Headquarters of people that looked like ordinary average American citizens, but were really Cobra mutants. I guess you'd like Texas and Florida or Springfield. The uh, Trump mutants kind of overachieved and took out whole states instead of just this one small town. But that theme persisted over the entire run. And it really was the story of G.I. Joe. It was the story of kind of um, the sort of greatest generation archetype of what it is to be American. Uh, you know, working as a team against sort of authoritarian fascism, working to kind of lift everyone up, uh, using ingenuity and a can-do spirit to make things happen, even when they seem impossible. Uh, but doing so within like a stricture of uh, rules and regulations that make it so that everyone is able to to participate and to uh, partake in the bounty of Americana as it were it's it's that versus the the um sort of greedy soulless parody of American freedom where it's all just all about me all about what 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 can I do why are you trying to stop me from doing what I want to do I don't care how it affects other people I want to do it that's the cobra cobra mentality and it goes on through untold issues it's always interesting reading a long sprawling um run of comics like that because you're actually, you know, it, it feels like, you know, you read 12 issues over the course of a week and whatever, but that was a whole year in in, in the, the, the time that it actually was released and published. So you're just like watching this stuff unfold in relative quick time, as quick as you can read, um, you know, once you have all the, the all the issues at your disposal. But it's interesting that this arc is just sprawling over years and years and years from the 80s through the 90s. Um, The other interesting thing about the real American hero hammer run is uh, it's very clearly a toy comic that overachieved. It was something that was conceived of and published essentially to be an advertisement for the G.I. Joe real American action, uh, real American hero action figures. But it somehow fell into the lap of Larry Hama, a person with a very um, sort of uh, creative genius uh, story that he wanted to get out there. And he was able to kind of sneak it into the toy advertisement. So it's funny because when you're reading, one of the jarring things about reading the comics all in one sitting is that characters kind of appear and disappear. Um, and you see that it's really cyclical with like which toys are being uh, pushed at that particular time. Um, people, uh, just get wiped out at a certain point and it's like, oh, I guess that toy just wasn't really in, in, uh, in, uh, production anymore. It's funny cause the, the one, the, the issues that I'm on now, which are years later, um, that started in the 2000s it's a totally different deal because it's just not synced up to any toy advertising toy production at all. So he's able to really use the characters he wants to use and use them the way he wants to use them. But you can definitely feel in that original run, the limitations that there was an editorial directive, like, you know, roadblocks got up here in this issue. Uh, you can't be using major blood anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But the, th- the other thing that's funny is you see the comic kind of ebb and flow as far as how hard that editorial direction is coming down. Cause he'll kind of, they will be, you know, a whole year of issues where he's kind of doing his own thing and telling his own story, uh, kind of independent of, of seeming any, any, any like structures or strictures about who he has to use or how he has to use them. Then all of a sudden something bizarre will happen. Like they introduced battle force 2000 out of nowhere with no real explanation. And there's no real reason for them to be there other than that. The toys had just been released. There's also those weird, um, icy robots had talked about these toys on a recent episode. Um, the eco warriors, (laughs) they make an appearance at a certain point. Um, Some poor soul gets drafted into the eco-warriors. I think it was Flint. And basically, the eco-warriors go around. At this point, you know, the the Joe line is kind of circling the drain. We're getting into the mid-90s here, and the popularity has obviously waned. So these eco-warriors are all outfitted in kind of neon costumes, and they're going out there to combat, like, uh, white-collar corporate uh, toxic waste-type crimes. So they'll kind of like jet pack into a scene and serve someone with legal papers. It's really weird. But that that's one of those things that kind of shows up, is pushed hard for a couple issues, and then never spoken of again. You can tell that's total uh, editorial toy directives. Um, enjoyed the series. Uh, enjoyed rereading it. I would recommend to anyone out there uh with a fondness for joe's with a fondness for that time period it's worth it, it, it there were times when i kind of wanted to to let it go cuz it, it would just meander and get kind of weak um but i stuck with it and it all paid off the end is really good if if you stick around to the end the end is so poignant and just such a strong statement of of bravery loyalty friendship camaraderie in the face of just all the other negatives out there that life has to throw you how, no matter how hard things can be, no matter how horrific things can be. If you have that loyalty and camaraderie in your life, if you're part of something working for the greater good, working for a bigger picture, it overcomes all of that. And that, that, that's very succinctly and poignantly summed up in the final pages of the original run, um, in a letter that Snake Eyes writes to a young man who's considering joining the army. Um, so yeah, even if you don't want to read the entire laborious series from start to finish, I would suggest seeking out that final issue, whatever it is. You can just look up last issue, original G.I. Joe run or Snake Eyes letter. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, that's It's worth, worth giving a look. Um, I certainly found it meaningful and inspiring. Uh, from here, uh, I'm going to continue with a series reread. I'm going to reread the entirety of the Usagi Yojimbo series by uh, Stan Sakai. I actually read the entire thing not that long ago, but it was so epic and so sprawling that I kind of want to go back and reread it now that I um, kind of know the lay of the land and just kind of be able to fit everything together, put everything together. For those of you who haven't read that series, because I never had, that character was just always in my, in my uh, peripheral vision, but I never dug deep. Uh, it is an incredibly worthy read. It's an amazing comic. If you're at all into like Akira Kurosawa uh, samurai tales, wandering samurai stuff, it 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 is like at the very top of that genre. It's right up there with Lone Wolf and Cub. Lone Wolf and Cub is a little more, it's a lot more uh, kind of grim and serious. Uh, Usagi Ojimbo takes a, a bit of a lighter tone, but a very similar story. They're both actually both, Great companion pieces, if you really want to read both of them if you haven't read either before. Um, but yojimbo it's just it's such uh, an endearing just heartfelt staggering work of genius by one person who writes and draws the entire thing and it's just there's so much love in it and uh, it's just such a such a wonderfully told story. I look forward to rereading it um, and I put it out there to you if you're looking for something to read. I actually recommend it quite a bit over. Uh, rereading G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe, you know, pick and choose here and there some arcs that you want to check out. Read the last issue of the original run, Usagi Ojimbo. That's a first issue to last issue, just sit there and read the whole thing. Uh, great stuff. Um, and I'm pretty sure I butchered the pronunciation throughout here, alternating between Usagi and Usagi. I think it's Usagi, I don't know. It's one of those names I see, I've read in print a million times, but I never say out loud. So Apologies. Please bear with me. I beg of you. Um, Comics, though, we're going to finish out talking a little bit about comics generally. Um, The funny thing about trying to do a series reread at my age is I realize it's very hard for me to uh, get into that space that I occupied when I was young, when I was a child and a teen, when I could just lose myself and spend, you know, an entire day just binge reading comics it's very hard for me to get there now because an adult as an adult there's always so many other things competing for my attention, things that I need to do. if I were to sit and read for hours uninterrupted at a time, so many other tasks would pile up around the house that I would then be behind for like a week um, afterwards it's like you know i'm I read like half an issue that I gotta go do some dishes I read another quarter of an issue and then i gotta go drive somebody somewhere i read the rest of that issue and then i gotta go take the trash bins out uh i start the next issue but then i realize i gotta get help with get dinner ready you know it's just it's not the youth is wasted on the young and one of the things if i could go back and slap young me across the face is like man just enjoy those days where you could lose yourself in just consuming fantastical content and and just that feeling too i remember when i would sit down to read an episodic comic as a youth, I remember sitting down to read the elf quest comic for the first time and it had already been going on for many years. So there were plenty of issues to delve into just feeling like I was signing myself up for this epic adventure. Who knew, who knows where it might've taken me. I just wanted to, to get that, that travel knapsack on and my walking staff and just, just, just follow the issues along and see what 20 sided die shaped road it would lead me on. And it's very hard to, uh, Find that traveler's spirit as an old as a sad old man but 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 try i still do sometimes kind of i don't know but that's the thing that's weird with comics it's like comics have always been a constant part of my life but they've never been as big a part of my life as they are for some of my friends some that have gotten really deep into the comic game um i got into the comic game hardcore in the year 1986 um I lived within walking distance to a 7-Eleven in Santa Rosa, California. And that's what I would do as a pastime a lot of times. I would walk down to the 7-Eleven, buy candy, buy Slurpees. It suddenly at some point occurred to me, oh, they have those comic books there. And comic books were something that I would have here or there um, in the years prior. Like I'd, I, the first comic I ever bought... I remember it came from a Greyhound station in Atascadero, California. It was um, an issue of Brave and the Bold that featured Batman and Black Canary teaming up against the Penguin. And it had a little side story about a character called Nemesis. I think Nemesis was some sort of, maybe he was like a prosecutor or a public defender or some kind of, by day, something like that. But then he was like a vigilante by night. I might have that wrong, but Nemesis. He was definitely an unmasked vigilante. Anyway, uh, I realized that, you know, I've always liked comics. But I always had to just accept whatever ones, you know, fell down the pike as a child without my own means to to get them. And now here I'm able to walk to this 7-Eleven. They have comics here. Maybe I should start buying comics regularly um, every time I go here. And I still didn't pull the trigger. But then uh, one uh, weekend, my grandparents, my mom's parents came up to visit from... Uh, San Francisco, and for some reason, my grandpa and I ended up at the 7 Eleven, and he's like, Oh, you can get whatever you want, you know. So, I decided to pick out some comics, and I got uh, Grew the famous Grew comic by Mad Magazine legend Sergio Aragones. Grew his uh, comedic uh comic book about a bumbling Conan type barbarian who uses a samurai sword. Gru, the Wanderer, I think it was issue 16. Issue 16 when it was being put out by Marvel. Uh, He has a, um, the cover's a big close-up of his face and there's a fly on his nose. He's about to swat the fly with his samurai sword. Get it? (laughs) Oh, things were going to go bad for Gru when he tried to get that fly. I'll tell you what. So Gru, um, an issue of Captain America where he was fighting some blue guy on skates, roller skates, can't remember the guy's name or the issue number. Um, I think it was like, those were the main two comics, but that just opened up a floodgate where I started buying comics from 7-Eleven all the time, eventually graduated to, um, comic book stores and, uh, comic purchasing and sort of half-hearted collecting became a big thing for me, um... For the next however many years until I hit high school and became too busy trying to ingratiate myself to cool dudes and uh, getting into dumb punk rock music and playing in punk rock bands. I I should have stuck with comics, honestly, but I I got distracted from comics at that point and they fell by the wayside and they never became quite as strong a uh, point in my life since, but they've always kind of been out there. The edges, and that's where some of these series rereads have uh, cropped up for me in recent years. But you know what? I want to talk more about this subject, but we're already uh, kind of deep into it here today. I went long last time, I'm gonna go a little short this time. And what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna come back next week and we are going to do a deep dive about my life with comics, comic book stores, how comics uh, related to uh, um, my life with my friends. And what role they play today, what role they don't play, what role they could have played, what role they might still play. We're going to talk about all of that next week on episode 33 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. Um, that sounds good. I'll be back. We'll talk more then. For now, it's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega for the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Signing off!